This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Sales leadership frameworks, mindset tools, skill set tools, performance coaching, sales leadership training tools, video insights with some of the world's most successful sales leaders, tools used by sales leaders to create massive impact in the current environment. So don't waste your time trying to reinvent sales leadership. Head to Sales Leadership United on Patreon and check out what the world's most complete collection of sales leadership assets can do for you. Every topic you'll ever need and the tools to help you accelerate your sales leadership career all in one place. Check out Sales Leadership United today. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders of teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. Tap into the power of coaching with people who have been there, done that. If you've ever wondered how other people with jobs similar to yours are addressing challenges you're facing now, reach out to the Jepson Performance Group and learn why sales leaders all around the world choose us as their performance partner. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. The show is growing faster every single week, and I have each of you to thank for it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for all of the DMs. Please keep them coming, and thank you for the ongoing support of the show. I love seeing the growth of the show, and I love hearing from so many of you on how the show is being helpful in your career. And today is going to be another one of those episodes. Today is going to be another fun one. I, I'm so excited to welcome Rhett Nelson to the show. Rhett is Director of Sales at Closed. Rhett is the second leader from Closed to join our show, and I'm pumped to have him with us today. For those of you who don't know, Closed, in my opinion, is the very best provider of win-loss analysis for sales teams of all sizes and industries. Now, win-loss is a tool I don't think is used often enough, and I've personally recommended Closed to a lot of organizations I work with. And I don't have any partnership or get paid at all for suggesting them. I've just seen their work firsthand and I'm a genuine fan. But back to Rhett. Rhett leads an enterprise sales team at Closed. He leads a team that helps business owners worldwide learn from how their wins and losses, uh, learn from them so they can create more intentional, more deliberate sales experiences for customers and prospects alike. And Rhett's team, they're doing big things. They're helping fuel some impressive growth as Close touches more wins and losses than any other organization I'm aware of. Rhett's led a lot of sales teams with great success, scooping up his share of accolades along the way. He's a former collegiate baseball player, a high-impact coach, and a developer of high-performing salespeople and sales leaders. I am super stoked to dive into our conversation today. I can't wait to chop it up with Rhett. Rhett. Welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. No, pleasure is mine, Rob. Really looking forward to the conversation. Thank you. I I, I appreciate it. I, I I have never hid the fact that I'm a fan of Closed. I, I love your company. 
we had one of your founders on the show uh, a little while ago. Uh, I, I'm a fan of what you guys do. And so I, I'm grateful that you would take an hour of your time and, and meet with us and our sales leaders all around the world. So thank you. Of course. Well, thanks for having me. And it's because you're a baseball fan. I'm willing to do it. So thanks for Let's having me. Let's do it, man. I'm sure we'll work some baseball in today, brother. Why don't you start by introducing Close? We got a lot of people. The show's grown a lot since uh, Spencer was on uh, earlier. And why don't you take a couple of minutes and introduce Close to 50,000 sales leaders and, and talk about what you guys do? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, you've already kind of touched on it there, Rob, but at Closed, essentially, we conduct thorough win-loss analysis for our clients. And what that means is that we uh, we help them leverage buyer feedback in an effort to make more strategic, you know, buying urgement, more strategic business decisions. So, you know, at the crux of it, you know, every company has those, you know, those opportunities. You want to get an understanding of why those opportunities were lost. And, you know, we can take a lot of different approaches to try and get an understanding of why those deals are lost. And there, you know, again, there's a lot of different data out there. We believe that the most, you know, important data that you can leverage in truly trying to get an understanding of why you're winning and losing sales opportunities are the insights that you pull directly from buyers, right? They are the ones that are actually making the buying decisions. They're the ones that are writing the checks. So in the form of our team reaching out and conducting qualitative interviews with those buyers, we're able to take those insights and provide those insights to our clients so that they can actually get a comprehensive and thorough understanding of why those deals are lost so that they can, you know, understand those things, make the make the necessary changes, and really just increase those win rates. We we want to encourage, we want to empower our clients to win more. That's what we're all about. Well, we could talk for a long time on best practices and putting together a win loss program, and I think that would probably be a good conversation. Um, however, we're going to go some other places. So I, you said some things that got my attention uh, that I'm sure we'll circle back to. But before we dive into it, I have one last thing I got to know, man. I love asking our guests when they get on, what what brought you to sales? Like high level, of course, but I'm still looking for those people that said, I grew up saying I was going to be in sales. That, that wasn't me, uh, but but maybe it was you. You know, no, it definitely was not me either. No question about that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I I was, uh, you know, so I, I went to I went to BYU. I played baseball there. Um, and I've always been an avid reader, an avid writer. I was actually a history major, you know, so people ask me all the time, how did you go from history to sales? And, you know, probably in a similar way that most people get into sales, as you mentioned. Um, but yeah, I, I was kind of taking that pre-law route, um, you know, preparing to take the LSAT. And it was really strange because we'd go to these career fairs and all these different SaaS companies in the Valley, they would come and they would recruit athletes. And before I knew it, just after stopping it by a couple of these booths, you know, I was getting some job offers for account executives or SDR roles from some companies in the Valley. So at the time I was engaged, I was preparing to graduate and it was like, okay, well, do I want to go get in debt uh, and go you know, to law school? Or do I want to give this thing a try where these people are telling me, Hey, you'd be good at this. You should definitely give this a try. And I thought, okay, you know what, why not? We'll give it a shot. And, you know, here I am X number of years later and it's worked out. It's worked out okay for me. So I'm glad As that I took say the chance. As they say, the rest is history, right? The rest is history, yeah. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. And and you've had a good stint with some really some great companies, primarily tech, and and uh, and it's cool. So I I'm grateful that we're going to be able to dive into this a little bit. And since you've been running, you've been in sales and running sales teams for a while. I'm really interested uh, now that with you leading sales teams that went at uh, closed because you are also selling to sales organizations because you're looking at deal dynamics. And I have yeah. been a big fan of 
moments of observation. You know, like everybody talks about being data-driven. And sometimes I think that we rely mm -hmm. too much on just pure numbers. And I'll be the first to say data never lies, but it never tells the whole story. And I've learned that observational data is at least equal to, if not greater than recorded data or reported data. And I've felt for a long time that win-loss done correctly, because I think there are good win-loss and bad win-loss, right? Mm -hmm. I, th I think that's one of those things that could be a really great observational tool. Um, and so you, you do this with companies all around the world. Could you start by just sharing a little bit about why win-loss is so important to a sales leader who wants to create like these observational moments and that lead ultimately to intentional improvement? Sure. No, absolutely. And Rob, you, you said it perfectly. It's all about being more intentional. Um, and how many of those observational moments can you create uh, for your team, right? So I really, I liken win-loss unto watching game film, right? So anybody- who, oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Anybody who has had experience in that athletic realm knows how important it is to watch game film. You know, I obviously I have a baseball background, but I'm a, I'm a big basketball fan as well. You know, when you actually get an understanding of the X's and O's and how the X's and O's function, if you are not doing those things, you're going into that next game completely hindered, right? Because you better believe that your competitors are doing that. If you are not engaging in that resource, you're, you're simply going to be behind the eight ball, right? So yeah. when we talk about win-loss being a form of, of a really analyzing game film, the way to think about that is, you know, you, you have a lot of different moving pieces throughout the sales cycle. And frankly, a lot of what happens in the sales cycle does not happen on an actual phone call with the sales rep, right? I, I often will ask my sales reps how much of the deal actually gets done on the call or on the phone versus, you know, behind closed doors. Because the reality is that we are not always in that client facing position where we have a gauge of how the deal is actually progressing. So when we talk about getting the feedback that we can actually leverage in an effort to improve, we need the feedback that encompasses the entire sales cycle, the entire process. And really the only way to get that is by engaging those buyers in the form of that qualitative interview to get a real understanding of what motivated you. What did you like about the sales process? What didn't you like? What were some things that turned you off? What were some things that competitors did, you know, frankly, did better than you did? Um, it's really those insights that give us that full game film. Another analogy that I might use is that I think that if you're looking simply at CRM data to try and decipher why you're losing opportunities, that could yep. probably be the rough equivalent of maybe looking at a box score, right? If I want to check on the New York Yankees, and that's my baseball team, by the way, shout out to the Yankees. Uh, we're going Dodgers, just so you know, we're a Dodgers show, just, but that's okay. Hey, there's a good chance we'll see you in the World Series. We'll see how things pan <laughs> out this year. Um, but if, if, if I want to check up and see how the Yankees did, sure, a box score might tell me a little bit of a story, right? I can get a general idea of, of who played well. Uh, but if I really want to get an understanding from a coaching perspective of what we need to do when we go into the next series, when we're facing the red hot Tampa Bay Rays, we need to watch some game film there, right? We need to actually see the pitchers in action, how they function, where they're effective, so that we can adequately prepare going into that scenario. If you're not leveraging win-loss data, then again, I, I, would, I would kind of compare that to looking at a box score. And again, a lot of the data from the CRM being really, really flawed, which is another kind of interesting thing. A lot of our research actually shows that about 85% of the time, CRM data is actually wildly inaccurate. So not only wow. is it like into a box wow. score, but it's like looking into a really flawed box score. So maybe somebody who, you know, is there taking the book, you know, sitting on the first baseline taking book and they've never done it before. So even the box score itself could be flawed. 85%? Yeah. Yeah, we, wow. you can imagine just due to the nature of our business, we have access to our win-loss data. 
which we then get to juxtapose with uh, CRM data. And it's interesting because we get to compare side by side how accurate these insights are. How often are sales reps selecting, you know, this is the reason why we lost versus this is the reason the, the customer actually detailed why they lost. We found that that crossover is actually roughly only 85% or excuse me, only 15% of the time, which means that 85% of that time, that CRM data that we're receiving is actually inaccurate. It's really hard to make strategic business decisions and coach around data that's that inaccurate. So you you may not be able to answer this one, but that's such a cool stat. I got to ask a couple more questions and sure. like, it's okay if you don't know the answer because we didn't know we were going to talk about this. Like if it's only accurate 15% of the time and you got 50,000 sales leaders here that all have some kind of CRM that they're using, sure. um, is there a, like two or three places that it's most commonly wrong? Yeah. So let me elaborate on this because this, yeah. this stat really is fascinating. So okay. one of the things, one of the misconceptions that I think a lot of sales leaders make, especially when you look at this, this reasoning of why we win and lose deals is that just the, the method or the format through which you actually extract that information in a CRM is really, uh, it, it, it's, it's really narrow, right? I think every sales leader understands that when we lose a deal, it, there are typically multiple reasons why that deal is lost, right? It's very rarely just one thing. And then to Got go a level deeper, if a sales rep is going to be the one highlighting the reasons why we win and lose, you know, when we lose a deal, lo and behold, there happen to be a lot of sales reps who say we lose because of pricing or we lose because we're lacking product functionality. Very rarely is a salesperson going to go in and say, hey, we lost the deal because I botched the sales process. I yeah. did X, Y, and Z things wrong, right? So it's a massive hole in the data gathering methodology itself. But then again, I, I think just the nature of, of the way we gather that information um, knowing that it's it's really a it, it's a it's a complicated uh, you know web of different things that impact a deal. It's very rarely just one or two singular things. Again, price being one of those things. Pricing can mean a variety of different things, right? It could be yeah. the actual price in terms of dollars and cents. It could be implementation costs. It could be the contract terms, right? It could be a myriad of things. If our CRM doesn't really allow us to extract that information, then we're not really dealing with information that's valuable. And my experience as someone who's done a bit of this um, was derived answers are always better than like easy answers. Like when you say why, like people was, oh, it's just the price. It's just the price, right? And so that's right. really interesting. I, I bet we could do a whole show on on how do you like common areas where CRM data is unreliable. And you've given us some pretty cool ones. Maybe there's a reason to have another show here in a few months. Let's uh, let's <laughs> let's let's sit in this other part though for me. I, that that phenomenon is really interesting. I liked how when you were talking about why win loss is so important. If you want to build this environment, I, I think that a sales leader has three roles. Role one is the development of people. Role two is create an environment where the motivated can thrive. And role three is accomplishment. So development, environment, accomplishment, accomplishment of the goals. And hmm. I like what you were talking about that if you look at wins and losses it applies to so many things. As I was trying to keep up with you, I'm already over half page into my notes on this one. I was like, wow, this win loss, you could use it and apply it to every single, not just every stage of the sales process, but it, it seems to me that it's every experience that you need to create. Um, it's, it's, it's every, it's everything that you can engineer in the sales process. And I like the idea of analysis of variance. It's, it's the variance of what happens in a win versus what happens in a loss. Like there's probably tons of overlap that like you do it the same way both times, but identifying where the variance points are, it seems to me like mm -hmm. that's 
Is that, am I right? Am I getting that right? You're hundred percent right. No, no question. So to give you some perspective, when we create a win-loss program for our clients, you know, a lot of people assume that we're exclusively dealing with closed lost opportunities because again, we want to get an understanding of why we lose those deals. But the reality is there's actually a pretty healthy ratio between closed one and closed lost opportunities that we deal with because it's really important to understand the reasons why we're winning so that we can lean into that. I'll yes. actually share, I'll share an interesting story with you there. So I was working with one of my reps and this is a, a, a pretty large deal. Um, and frankly, it was a really smooth sales process from top to bottom. Uh, we had great rapport with them, multiple stakeholders, uh, multi-threaded, um, you know, really, really smooth deal. And we actually conducted, and we, so we ended up winning this deal. Um, and then obviously we use our own solutions. So we do what we call close for closed, right? So uh, our team reached out to them. They agreed to a close one interview. So we engaged them. And again, when, when I heard that they engaged in the interview and when it posted on our closed account, I was really excited to read this interview because I thought, man, we had great rapport. We're going to get a glowing review. Everything was great. I can't wait to hear uh, them just talk about how great we were the whole time, right? So I went in kind of with that expectation. I was actually really surprised because for the most part, everything was really positive, but they actually highlighted a specific portion of the way that we presented pricing that frankly came off a little bit confusing to them. They weren't really clear on it. And in this case, that didn't hurt the deal, but it did give us pause and make us think, well, we're, we're, we are pitching the pricing in this very similar way across all these opportunities. How often is this happening? Is this an anecdote or is this something we need to go back and workshop to make sure that this is more clear? Cool. We, we cool. were able to learn something really powerful from that closed one opportunity uh, that had we not been doing this, we would not have understood. And even in our wins, that gives us an opportunity to refine our approach more and more. We're not just relying on the losses. Which I think is really cool that you point that out. There's this really common phrase that drives me bonkers. It's either I win or I learn. And <laughs> I, I always apply it to like, I look at last year's college football campaign where, you know, I think it was Alabama only lost once and Georgia only lost once going into that last game. Are you telling me they only learned one week out of the season each? Are, right. <laughs> are, you, are you kidding me? And, and I think that's such yeah. a flawed way of looking at it because again, if our primary role is development and then two is environment, making sure we're, we're going to have like this, like a gardener. I always think that our job as sales leaders is to be a gardener where we can plant any plant we want in there. And we've got an environment where it can thrive. You got to know yeah. what, that's why I like when I was like talking through that with you, like probably a lot of wins and losses don't have that much difference, but if you can find the places where there's variance, then I, I can see you creating something that you, like I would call moments that matter. These are the moments that matter. And you, and you choose to like double down on those and get really, really good at those moments that matter. And I would imagine that not only does that help you become elite at the areas of wins, but I have to think it helps you dealing with adversity and challenges that comes in, in, in sales, because now you're looking at it through a little bit different lens. Does it help with both of those? Maybe you could talk about either or both of those. No, I, I couldn't agree more, Rob. I think that, you know, and frankly, anybody who has ever won anything, and, and I'm not coming from the perspective of somebody who has won, you know, a, a ton of things in my life because I've failed in a number of areas in my life, just like anybody. But I think anybody who has won anything will tell you that winning is something that is very much learned, right? Um, in, in the same way that we learn how to manage and deal with failure and loss, you really have to learn how to win, right? And how to keep winning. That is something that is very much learned. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree doubt. more. No doubt. 
Yeah, that this idea that I either win or I learn, I agree, is it's it's a really silly phrase. I understand the intent of the phrase, but you know, fundamentally flawed, no question. But I, I think you know something that has always really stood out to me, and, and you mentioned this, Rob, the concept of, of how to manage and deal with failure. It's interesting. So my team is actually reading Fanatical Prospecting. This is a book that I've read multiple times. Uh, most companies, oh, fantastic book, multiple reads. But so we're rereading this and, and kind of revisiting this idea of how to manage and how to deal with failure. And it, it's interesting because when you think about the concept of win-loss, something that I've never really understand, understood is that sometimes sales leaders are hesitant to kind of take a look under the hood and understand why they're winning and losing deals. And maybe they're afraid that, you know, if the CEO, you know, gets this information, what are they going to think of them in their role? There, there's a level of hesitancy there. And again, I, I think that one of the things that I have learned in my life and in my career is that failure in some regards, especially in this profession, it's somewhat of an inevitability, right? So knowing that it is something yeah. that's going to happen, it's not really a question of, is it going to happen? It's more a question of, okay, it's going to, how are you going to react to it? Or what's the aftermath of that? And, and frankly, I pull some, some specific stories from my life. I know you said that you know, I'm a collegiate athlete there, Rob. And frankly, I'm not nearly as decorated of an athlete as I would like to be. <laughs> you know, I, I had high hopes for my athletic career, but something that I think is missed by a lot of people, I, I always think about it this way. When you think about the concept of dealing with failure, I talk to my team a lot about this. It doesn't really matter if, if you're a baseball player, it doesn't matter if it's high school, if it's college, if it's five years in the minors, if it's a 15 year major league career, at some point, that is going to end with somebody looking at you and telling you that you're not good enough and that you need to hang up the cleats, right? Yep. And again, unless you're Derek Jeter and you have, you know, this, this big, you know, career ending, uh, you know, parade for an entire year, that's the, the, the tenth of a tenth of a tenth, right? Uh, for most of us mortals, it comes in the form of somebody telling you that you're not good enough. You need to hang up the cleats. And that, that's a failure considering that you've worked your whole life for this and it can be really tough to manage. So I think that one reason why I think a lot of athletes are able to have success in the world of sales is specifically because they have the ability to deal with failure, uh, not because they avoid it, because they look it square in the eye and they say, this is what it is. How am I going to respond to this? How am I going to react to it? And I think that is very, very much, you know, translates well to the world of win-loss where the best sales leaders, the ones that really benefit from these programs are the ones that aren't afraid to stare, you know, why they're losing right in the eye because they know that that's the only way that they're going to be able to fix it. Yeah, and I think that's a really important part of the culture and the environment. I keep going back to environment and culture, but I think I think accidental cultures are almost always bad cultures. I think as a leader it's too important to not be intentional about. And I think it's okay to like not okay. I think that's part of what we got to do is to say we're going to miss. It it reminds me of I remember my youngest son when I was giving him skiing lessons and he was telling me, oh, no, I wasn't, I was taking him up to a ski resort for him to get ski lessons. I'm, I'm no ski instructor, um, <laughs> but he was always like, I remember after one lesson, he was telling me how he was stoked because he only like fell one time or something like that. I was like, dude, if you're not falling, then that means you're not pushing yourself. All you did was stay at the exact same freaking level that you were last time. And, and I think that might've been too strong for like a six year old or something like that. Cause he didn't get it. But as a leader, we want to make it like, like I, I have clients that even celebrate like most creative idea that they thought would work that didn't like they celebrate the creativity that like, let's celebrate what we thought would work that didn't because that idea of 
always trying to understand what those moments that matter are and what is it what does good look like i think that's the other thing that i would i would want to get your take on with that is study not too long ago came out and said less than 20 percent of sales reps know what good looks like uh, for mm. every one of their roles and what i love about this is you're able to say let's find out hey let's not guess many times we guess what the moments that matter are win loss they'll tell you what the moments that matter are and then you can get anecdotal not anecdotal you'll get direct statements from the buyer on this is what good looks like right and um and so i would imagine that makes it a lot easier to deal with adversity because you can say okay now we go get better like let's stay with baseball for a minute like you know, you were a pitcher, right? If you had a game where you couldn't, you couldn't get a, a first pitch for a strike, I would imagine that you go look at those things and there's fundamentals. That's your release point or it's, it's, it's your feet. Usually that starts from the ground up and you're going and doing those things, which I'm going to guess will do one of two things. And I'd love to have you take it. Either it's going to help you with your mental approach and, or it's going to help you with your fundamental approach. It's, I don't know if it's either or. I don't know if it's both. I, I'd love to get your take on that. Absolutely. And the first thing I want to comment on there is so that that, that 20% figure that you threw out there, you know, something that, that and my team will probably roll their eyes when they hear me say this because they hear me say it all the time. But something that I really believe is that satisfaction is always a function of expectation. I think it's incumbent upon us as sales leaders like to make sure that that expectation is really, really clear. But to your point, how do we set the bar for that expectation if it's ambiguous? And, and frankly, if we don't have a good feedback channel to really understand what that line is, then yeah, it does appear very ambiguous. And that can lead to a lot of frustration. Again, for satisfaction being a function of expectation, right? But you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, when you get in that mode of, you know, being able to really get an understanding of that, then I, I, I agree. I think, you know, to answer your question there, when you look at the fundamentals, the, the physical fundamentals that are very much non-negotiable, and then the mental side of things, that's really where those two things uh, meet and they mesh. But unless we have that really clear expectation dialed in, it's really hard to find a marriage between those two things. Because as we talked about earlier, Rob, the, the mental game is something that I've always been fascinated with. I just think that, you know, again, if, if you're, again, if you're pitching or if you're hitting and you're constantly inundated with this failure, um, it, it really is mental. I'll share kind of a quick little anecdote with you just while we're talking about the mental game. You know, yeah. I have a number of friends that are, you know, that have played semi-professionally. I have a number of friends that are playing professionally right now. And I was sitting down, I was talking to one of them pretty recently. And he said, you know, what's interesting to me, an observation that I have made, when you look at the talent that exists in double A AA and triple A versus the major leagues. He said the talent level of the actual players, there's honestly not a massive delta, right? You will find guys in AA, AAA that are throwing 98 miles an hour, right? And you would think, well, why isn't that guy in the bigs? Why isn't he, why isn't he you, know, uh, you know, with the major league franchise or, or ball club? And he said to me, the biggest difference between those players in AA, AAA that have that similar skill set and the players that have long careers in the big leagues, it's all the mental side, right? They have the physical skills, but they have been able to close that mental gap in such a way that that is now the difference in talent between the guys that stay in the bigs versus the guys that hang out in double A, triple A is because they really have demonstrated a mastery of that mental game, which is pretty fascinating. Well, I, I'm glad you went there. I mean, I it, it, like mental game and fundamentals are probably two things for us to sink our teeth into just a little bit before we run out of time. We got like 15 minutes. And so I think that's a good chunk of time for these two. I think that, the mental game, it, 
I think there's three things. If you look at our sales leadership DNA, we have we all have that triple helix, three strands that make us the kind of leaders where it starts with mindset, then it's skill set, then it's performance. And I think that most sales leaders haven't really been taught how to help people with mental game. I think most of the time it's like, oh, you can do it, or Larry the cable guy, get her done. And um <laughs> and, and we just kind of cheerlead like it was always done for us. And I, I think that that's a really important thing to feel like we have some tools on, like to give people reason to believe. I, again, I know I, I don't mind the baseball. We can have this be an all baseball all the time episode. Like when, when you're a baseball player and you get into a slump, that can be hard to break out of. Like it can oh, yeah. be super hard. And I know in sales, when you get into a sales slump, similar things. And so if you can say, these are the things that are working, we're going to be elite at these having, giving a rep reason to believe that's super important tool to have. And, and and so I, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that self-talk is everything. I think that your mindset is super important. And I think, again, of the 50,000 leaders that we have listening, I think all of them could benefit from a little, you know, just any thoughts you might have on what are some of the tools you use to help build bulletproof titanium grade mindsets with people. Any thoughts around that? Yeah, definitely. So I actually have a rep in particular that, that comes to mind who, you know, incredible talent and have, you know, just really, really, really high expectations for this rep. And then one of the things that I'm working with him on is kind of more that mental side of things because the talent is there and mentally very, very strong, but, you know, a little bit of an area of opportunity there because, you know, this is somebody who has the ability to go to the moon, really. I mean, that, that much talent. Um, and awesome. so, yeah, I, I think that you touched on one of those things. I think that, and, and it's interesting because baseball really is such a natural, you know, metaphor for this because baseball is a sport, as you know, Rob, if you're hitting, you could do everything right at the plate, right? You have the right approach. You pick the right pitch. You square it up perfectly. And what do you know? It's a line drive right to the center fielder, right? Ball you has executed, eyes. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. You, you <laughs> executed as well as you could possibly execute in that scenario. There's literally nothing that you could have done better. Because what are you going to say? You should have you should have hit it into the gap. No, I mean, it's, yeah. you saw the ball, you hit the ball, you squared it up, you did everything right. It's one of those scenarios where you kind of have to shrug your shoulders and say, well, that's just how the game goes sometimes. And sales is, is very similar in that way where you can you can do certain things and you can execute fully. You can control your controllables. You can work hard. You can be very cognizant of what you're doing from a training standpoint. And you can still line out to the center fielder, right? But then I also believe that in the law of averages, and this is something that I talk to my team about a lot, is that I promise you, if you do, if you focus on what you can control as opposed to what you can't control, you are going to win out over the long run. Because as you know, for that hitter that's been in that slump, you know, you go 0 for 4 with, you know, two line outs, right? So you, you know, good approach at the plate, but then, you know, next game, what do you know? You have a little bloop single or a little infield single, right? You didn't necessarily square that ball up, but it's still going to be one for one in the box score because the law of averages tends to work that way. And I think it, it is quite similar in sales where if you can just focus on what you can control, you know, that ultimately is going to win out. And I think that leveraging a lot of the feedback that we get from our win-loss program, where again, in that example that I used before of the rep, where we won this deal, but there was probably a little bit of area in the pricing format that we, we could have shored up. Again, that's an opportunity for us to really focus on. These are all the things that we executed on really well in this scenario. Let's keep leaning into these things, but then let's not be afraid to address these little things as well that we need to do to, to, to keep to keep uh, improving. 
So that brings up another thought I have. I love this conversation, by the way. This, this has been really, really cool. I think any kind of data, be it recorded data or observational data, there's good way to use it and a bad way to use it. I, I see a lot of times data gets this bad rap because mm -hmm. leaders weaponize it. We use it to create gotcha moments instead of I get you moments, right? Hmm. I, I think that the way people will look at, at whether it's win-loss or any other kind of data, but we're talking about win-loss and win-loss can be scary because it's coming straight from the customer's mouth. And I know for a fact that on wins, reps, you know, they, they're okay with it, but still nervous. You shared your story, like you were really excited like to have one on a win. And on losses, most of the time they're like, I don't want you to talk to those people. And um, there's a lot of, of, I know there's a lot of anxiety around that, but I think that that can be relieved based on how a leader uses it. Any thoughts around like the right way versus the wrong way or, or weaponizing or using it to create that, that culture of coaching or intentional improvement or whatever you want to call it. I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts because I, A, I know that you're in the business, but B, I also know you use this with your own team. Yeah, no, it's a it's a really thought provoking question. What I would say is that any any close lost interview where we would expect to receive negative feedback or where a sales rep would expect to receive negative feedback, perhaps about the way that they manage the sales process. Guess what? I was on those phone calls as well. And that means I am just as accountable to that close lost deal. I think that something that I really try and help my team understand is that I am not going to ask them to do anything that I myself would not be willing to do. I, I, I know that the, every company is a little bit different. I very much like to be in the trenches with my team, which means that I like to be quite involved with a lot of deals from you know the discovery call all the way to the end. And that can take a lot of different forms. Sometimes I'm just a second set of eyes. Uh, sometimes I'm providing a little bit of leadership presence in those phone calls. Um, sometimes I take a little bit more of an active role, depending on what the rep needs for me at that time. But I think if it's approached in a way that you know, what is the intent of this information that we're gathering? The intent is that we all want to win more because when we win more, the entire company wins more, we make more, winning is fun. I mean, it's a net positive for everybody across the board. So when they understand that this is not something to be weaponized, but this is something that we're all working together and heading in the same direction, that's important because frankly, again, if I'm involved on a deal and if we lose a deal and if they point something out relative to the sales process, I want my reps to know that I am just responsible for that as they are, that it's not you know me casting or me going to the sales rep and saying, well, what did we do here? I take that very much upon myself as well, because at the end of the day, I am responsible for my team's performance. So that is just as much on my head as anyone. Let's, let's, let's sit in this for one more minute. And I can't believe how fast we're going. Like, <laughs> I want to go back to fundamentals. You did a good job on mindset. At the end, well, if you want to go back to any of this, we can. I thought the mindset conversation was really good. Let's go back to fundamentals. I, I'm going to yeah. imagine that most of the time, like, like you said, um, again, you were talking about hitting, you square it up. Sometimes it goes dead center. It just is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, it, I think that most of the time coaching is about tweaking. That's what I think. I think coaching is almost always about tweaking. You know, um, it's that 1% change that has that disproportionate result that turns it from a pop fly to a line drive, for example. Right. It's a game um, of inches. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's what coaching is about. It's finding the teeny tiny small changes. Most of the time, it's not fundamental. Like if you're onboarding someone or you're going from zero to something, that's one thing. But most of the time we're going from where we are to what's next. 
where we are. It's not, we're not going from Earth to Mars. We're right. going from, you know, we're, 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 we've got some steps in between. Any thoughts? Like you coach a lot. You're a good coach. Your team's doing amazing things. We got a lot of people that I think would be interested in how a company that sells coaching services, basically tools for coaching. How do you, any thoughts about like, what's the best way to help people grow and create that growth? Thoughts, thoughts around that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So fundamentals, that's something that I obsess over. And I think most former athletes are very similar in that way, that it is all about the fundamentals. It's interesting. I actually, I, uh, I ran this analogy by my team, because to me, it just makes a lot of sense with with my baseball background. So the way I think about this is that if, if you don't understand the profession of sales, or let's say that you're brand new to sales, you might assume that everybody kind of sells differently, right? Deep, people have different styles. If you're, so for example, if you're referencing the challenger sale, whether you're a relationship builder, you're a lone wolf, uh, you're a problem solver, right? Whatever that might be, there are different seller personas. And I think this is interesting because, I'll, and again, to leverage the baseball example, if you don't really understand baseball, and if you were to watch Derek Jeter hit, Gary Sheffield hit, and Jeff Bagwell hit, right? Three all You're old hitters. school, dude. I like it. You're old school, yeah. man. I Like I said, I'm a historian, right? I love history. Okay. Um, love it. Yeah. But so these are all really great hitters. But if you actually watch them hit, it, it'd be pretty natural to assume they all do it differently. Derek Jeter has his hands way above his head. Gary Sheffield is waving his bat like crazy. Jeff Bagwell is squatted down so low that he looks so uncomfortable that again, to the untrained eye, you might think, well, yeah, everybody just, they hits in the, they hit in their own way. They take their own approach to it, but all three, all three of these guys are successful hitters. But if you, if you really know the game, you understand that although the starting points are different, although the spin that they have on it is a little bit different when it actually comes to bringing the barrel of the bat to the ball, fundamentally speaking, if you snapshot every single one of those guys, as they're hitting the ball, they're all completely identical. Their head is down on the ball. They have good extension. They're hitting against the firm front side. They're balanced, right? They're all basically identical when you look at them fundamentally and mechanically. And I think that's such an awesome analogy because I think sales, this profession is very similar where there are simple non-negotiables within a sales process that are going to be consistent across every single high-performing sales rep, right? So it's a matter of understanding what are those fundamentals, Right. And then how can we focus on those fundamentals? And great. Once you have a mastery or nobody ever really masters them, but a high level of confidence with confidence with those fundamentals, then great. You can add your spin to it. You can be Gary Sheffield and wave your bat in the air like he does. You can be Jeff Bagwell and be a little bit more squatted than most people. That's great. Add your own flavor to it. Make it yours. That's fantastic. But it can never, ever come at the expense of the fundamentals because those are non-negotiable among top performers. And I think that when you look at, at something like close, when my team, when we're really in the trenches with a lot of this win-loss analysis information, you know, we understand what those key fundamentals are and they become really, really, really clear. For example, we obviously understand that a term that we use is decision drivers, right? What are the biggest themes that impacted this deal, whether that be positive or negative? When we do this, we have a pretty comprehensive understanding of what helps our deals and what impact, what negatively impacts our deals. When we know what we do, when we when we do this thing, our win rates go way up, right? If we know that to be the case, great. This is the fundamental thing that we really want to lean into. And frankly, it doesn't matter how much you want to make it yours, but this is kind of a non-negotiable thing. If we stick to the fundamentals, the fundamentals are going to win out. We just have to be really, really intentional about, intentional about making sure that fundamentally we are as sound as possible. And our win-loss programs really help us with that. 
I love this. You're making taking me back in time to when I coached that team that won that national championship. <laughs> You're taking me back in time, man. We would film batting every at bat. We'd break it down frame by frame when these kids were 12 years old, man. And I love it. I love by it. the way, you're right. We would always ask them, "Who's your favorite hitter?" And they would tell us, and we would go get, we would go get film on it. We would show it steps, oh, you know, yeah. frame by frame, and and when they would make their swing look the way that we you just described, they would hit better. And so, yeah, I love I that. I can't as even an example. tell you how much game film I watched of Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, right? Like those, those are two pitchers that I just, I would obsess over them mechanically, the way that they would approach yeah. the game, their pitch repertoire, whatever it might be, just a lot of game film study there, game film study there. That's why I love win loss because not only can you get it for the whole team, but you can get trends on an individual. And then if you overlay that to your other tools, it starts to make things really make sense. So I, I really like this. Why don't we, why don't we start to wrap? What, what I want to make sure that you get enough time to tell everybody that's listening, like, how do they, how do they learn more about you? How do they connect to you? How do they, how do they learn more about closed? I know you guys have some resources that we we're going to share with them as well. Why don't you just make it really easy for people to learn about clothes, connect to clothes, connect to you, take advantage of the resources that you have, et cetera. Sure. Yep. I think, again, at the end of the day, Rob, clothes is all about helping companies understand why they're winning and losing, all in an effort uh, to help you win more, right? That is what we're all about. So, uh, again, to lean into the baseball analogy, a big thing that a lot of companies are focused on right now, especially given some of the, you know, the economic turbulence, I guess you could call it that. Um, is a lot of companies are really focused on building pipeline and right and that should be a focus where you know maybe an alternative or something that we can entertain as well is how do we increase our batting average right we're winning x number of deals let's increase our batting average so yeah one thing that we would like to throw or offer out as well for anybody listening out there if you have you know a couple opportunities or an opportunity that you've lost and you're a little bit perplexed as to why you lost that opportunity and you would like to get an understanding of why that deal was lost um, we are actually in a position where we can offer a free buyer interview, right? So if you go to freebuyerinterview.com, you know, you provide us with that contact information, we will essentially go out and conduct a free interview on your behalf. This is a really powerful proof of concept. Wow. You kind of put wow. loss to the, yeah, put it to the test. We'll go find out why you lost that deal. Uh, we'll, we'll, you know, aggregate everything into our platform, similar to what we do with our clients so that you can get an idea of the type of insights we can, uh, we can gather from a formal win-loss program. Well, I'll jump on that. I'll say for every one of the listeners and and we'll take a video of that. We'll stick that at Sales Leadership United as well for our our, our people there. Um, take Red up on this. This is a really great opportunity. You'll get a third party, independent third party, call them, highly professional, highly trained. They'll come back to you with some insights that might confirm some things that you do know, might introduce you to some things that you don't know. We'll give you uh, some really great insights on things you might want to consider it will really open your eyes into what win loss done right looks like. So, man, that's very generous. I could tell you that is something that you should not think about. You should just do, you should just do that <laughs> with, with the closed team and until they say they can't do it anymore. So, um, that's right. So, yep. Take advantage of it. Yeah. Take advantage of it. I, I love that. Rhett, we're out of time, man. This time went fast. I want just, just before we start to wrap it, you got like one last thought, like any way of like putting a bow on it, putting the cherry on top. You got 50,000 sales leaders all around the world in all the different industries. And I know you work with all the different industries. Any final thoughts that you'd want to kind of wrap this conversation up with? And, and thank you. This has been fun. Yeah, uh, man. I, I think the big thing is that I, you know, again, we talked a lot about the mental game. 
Um, one of the one of the, the the greatest opportunities that I've ever had in my in my in my playing career is that I got an opportunity to play with some really good players, players that were much better than me, frankly. Um, and the players that were much better than me, they were much better. You know, obviously they had physical gifts that I didn't have, but mostly it was because of their mental game. And so for any sales leaders out there, you know, again, whether, you know, again, there are some sales leaders that are a little bit hesitant to take a look under the hood and really get an understanding of why they're winning and losing. There are some sales leaders that may even be a little bit complacent. They feel like, oh, our win rates are in good, are in a good spot. Maybe we don't necessarily need something like this. I would say more is always better, right? Increase those win rates, win more, right? Regardless of the situation, you know, I think that a lot of leaders kind of have a preconceived notion of, look, this win rate or this amount of revenue, this constitutes success in my business. You can always win more, which is why I always say that there, it's not necessarily like win loss is something that is, uh, you know, specifically designed for, you know, this part of our total addressable market. Everybody can benefit from winning more. So, you know, again, let's win more together. Uh, you know, a, a win-loss solution is something that can really move the needle that way. So that's the last thing I'd say, Rob. <laughs> His name is Rhett Nelson. He uh, He's running an enterprise sales team at Closed. If you haven't, no, if you're not familiar with Closed, make yourself familiar with them by taking the advantage of the free uh, opportunity analysis that they've thrown out. He's helping teams all around the country create game film for their sales team so they can have that culture and that characteristic of ongoing cho choosing growth over grind and and small intentional improvements every single day and I, I thank you for sharing your insights right i congratulate you on your success wish you amazing things and on behalf of a whole bunch of sales people sales leaders all around the world thanks for opening up your playbook a little bit for us and and as i say to everyone happy selling <laughs> hey appreciate it rob thanks for having me on Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. We are having a different year than we've ever had. We're facing new challenges than we've ever had to face. And every single sales leader needs to find ways to create more impact with the people they lead. And that's why I created Sales Leadership United. And if there's one thing I learned from Rhett today, it's that we need to stay on high alert for how to win more and lose less. And that isn't just true for salespeople. Sales leaders need to up their game just as much, if not even more than salespeople do. And that isn't easy. It takes intentionality and it takes prioritization to stay fresh, to stay modern and current so you can have high impact. That's why I created Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Members of Sales Leadership United have access to proven trainings, techniques, and tactics used right now with great success to solve leadership challenges that some of the world's most successful sales leaders are facing right now. With a simple search, you can find any sales leadership topic that you want to get resources, frameworks, modern systems, sales meeting ideas you can use immediately, and much, much more. Systems on any leadership topic you'll need are ready for you to tap into at Sales Leadership United. Hundreds of video segments for some of the most successful sales leaders in the world are one search away. There's over 400 topics we have content on now. You can find Sales Leadership United on Patreon, and for less than the cost of lunch, you can have access to more sales leadership materials than you may have ever thought possible. 
new materials released multiple times every week, and you will never be operating on old systems as a member of Sales Leadership United. So click the link in the show notes and check out Sales Leadership United today. Now listen, I've been a fan of Closed for a really long time. I remember when I first met with their founders when the company was still in a basement. And since then, Closed has taken off, done amazing things, working now with iconic companies, solving problems that matter as they help sales leaders learn from the power of win-loss done right. And cards on the table. I, I, I've spent a lot of time learning about their product and, and I recommend Closed to my clients. I've helped more than one sales leader learn why Closed is a friend if you want what you're, you know, what you're looking at to stay ahead of the curve as a sales leader. And I hope my conversation with Rhett today showed you why. Because far too many leaders are still following what I call the grind and hope strategy. That is not a strategy that the modern leader should be using. Here's what I've learned as someone who has spent my adult life in sales and sales leadership. When a rep wins, most of the time they like to look in the mirror. They take ownership. They celebrate. celebrate, And they want their leaders to think, man, aren't we lucky to have her? But when they lose, things often change. And instead of looking in the mirror, quite often this person looks out the window. Instead of ownership, now there are fingers being pointed. And too many salespeople act as if, you know what? I've never been outsold. They point to things like price or to product or anything but their own performance. And if we don't understand the dynamics of why we win when we win and why we lose when we lose, well, then it's really hard to be intentional about changing this. And that's why grind and hope is alive and well. I'm not sure if there's something more important for us to be aware of as sales leaders than why we win and why we lose. And since 85% of what's in an, in CRM isn't accurate, and by the way, that stat from Rhett blew my mind. And, and also since reps have a very narrow perspective of why they win and why they lose, well, why they lose, well, that's a big deal, a really big deal. I think your win rate is arguably the most important metric in sales. Win rate is a boardroom level conversation and the economics of improving win rates by just a few points is worth millions. So you need tools to give yourself reliable insights in this regard and stop taking anecdotal uh, narrow perspectives from your sales team. You got to get past that tunnel vision that your reps will always have because you don't just owe it to your company. You owe it to those reps to help them learn why the win is a win and why they lose when it's a loss. And what most important, what are the experiences we need to create to help them have more predictability? Win loss done right will give you another set of observable moments you can use to create intentional improvement. And I don't think you can afford to leave that to accident. Listen, my experience has been you want win loss done by a third party, okay? Um, you can try and find ways to triangulate it internally, but you want that voice of a customer and you want it done in a way where they don't have to worry about bias. So my advice to you as a leader, learn where the variance comes in terms of wins versus losses. Follow Rhett's advice and stop reading the box scores and do what he said. Start watching game film. Go from black and white pictures to 3D, 4D, whatever you want to call it, action uh, where you can really see what's happening and make a difference. Because if you're winning three out of every 10 at bats right now, which is 
not a you know that's kind of that's pretty much right where the win rates are right now. If you can help your team get intentionally winning one out of every ten at bats more, going from three to four at bats, that's the stuff that puts you in the sales leadership hall of fame. So Rhett, my man, thank you so much for joining me. I love the work that you guys do at Closed. I can't endorse Closed strong enough. And congrats, Red, on the success you've had with your team. You gave us some killer insights, and I love the way you shared how win-loss can help every single sales leader. This was a fantastic conversation and one I'm so happy to share with sales leaders around the world. If we can help those we lead have predictable improvement in their win rates, we can have massive impact with the people and the companies we are connected to. So, Rhett, thank you so much for being willing to share with our, our leaders. Thanks for an hour of your day. My advice is to connect with Rhett, check out his resources, reach out to him with questions, check out Closed, and you are crazy if you don't take them up on a free win-loss buyer review, okay? Seriously, take them up on this win-loss interview. Have them conduct an interview with one of your recent prospects, win or loss. We've got links in our show notes to make this easy to do. Trust me, you will be glad to be connected with both RET and Closed. They will give you lots of resources that you will benefit from. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. The greatest compliment you can give us is to share the show with those you work with. Introduce them to the Sales Leadership Podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes, and you can support the show by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head over to Patreon and check it out. You're going to be glad you did. Thank you for your support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for the people you lead. If you liked this message, please share it this week with someone who needs to hear it. And then get after it this week because life is short. There's no guarantee of what you'll get tomorrow. So maximize today. Be elite, live strong, and chase your passions. And do your best work so you can live your best life. And don't ever forget, you got this and I got you. Here's to a terrific week. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.